bad for you. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Game Club. This week we are doing kind of a bonus episode on our favorite games of 2022. I'm your host, Michael, and with me today is a guest co-host, John. Oh, hello everyone! Hey! So this is going to be more of a loose episode. <laughs> we didn't really plan this, but... Um, Lucy-goosey, I like it! We're just going to talk about our favorite game, adventure games and interactive fiction this year. And people wrote in and sent voicemails and we'll read those off. And it should be a good time. Mike, I have to ask you. Okay, so here's the thing, Mike. 2022 was a crazy good year for adventure games. We had some of like the best that we possibly could. Some new, some returning favorites. It was a just, it was like a massive resurgence of kind of that old classic feel of adventure games, but with so much better modern narrative and design and puzzle structure it was, and really interesting and fascinating novel new ideas mixed with that old style and feeling. I have to say that I hadn't been, I've never been really super excited for a lot of more modern point and click adventure games. And this year there was a whole bunch that I very much enjoyed. I don't know about you, but I liked them. Yeah, I think it was the best year for the genre in a really, really long time. I can't really think of a better year, you know, post LucasArts this year. Yeah, because cause like when when Telltale hit their height, right, it was just Telltale, you know? There wasn't a whole lot of uh, other adventure games that were hitting the mainstream spotlight. And uh, and if so, they were typically telltale style adventure games here like this last year, we had so many diverse styles and diverse uh, mechanics and like interesting twists on the genre in general in a lot of really interesting ways. And they all had a really big, you know, big spotlight put on them in some form or another. And a lot of them being nominated in things like the Game Awards this year or this last year. And it was really, there was a whole bunch of stuff to be really excited and interesting for. And, but not to mention still lots of old fantastic adventure games that I played <laughs> this last year. I had so many games. Yeah. So I, I know for me, I played a few things, but I'm just for myself. I'm, I'm list when we start going off about favorites, I'm just sticking with my, with new games, but I know people that wrote in and I, I know you have choices that, are old games and that's awesome too um so i guess what we'll do let's, let's start off with yours let's start yeah. off with yours yeah so let's all right i'm gonna cruise through mine because i think i discussed almost all of these in previous episodes and no one wants to hear me go on about all of that again but uh, i want to hear that i mean you can okay. just people can just pull up old episodes so i'll just go really fast so <laughs> uh return to monkey island was a big one for me um, oh, yeah, I you know it was just nice to see Ron Gilbert and Dave Grossman do another adventure game together, and I thought the humor was great. I loved. I I have a guilty pleasure, Mike. I or guilty pleasure, a guilty uh, uh, conscience here. I haven't played this yet. It's good. I mean, yeah. So I mean, you'll get to it eventually. I think you said you <laughs> I'm the weirdo. I don't typically play cutting edge. I'm never cutting edge. I'm always like at least one year 
gap yeah. between release. Oh, usually I am too. It's yeah. This year was weird for this reason because all of my I played a lot of new stuff, which is not yeah. very common. Well, there's a lot of good new stuff though. Yeah, this one and I love the art in Monk Island. I know that's. We've I covered that before. Too. I but, don't know what is wrong with folks and the blowback from Monkey Island art. We've discussed, well, not us, but like this. I know. Previous episode, <laughs> uh, not getting into it, but um, and just all the modernization that it felt like it just felt very good. It does stuff where you like hover over items and it'll show Guybrush's thoughts. And there's, yeah. Anyway, and I like the writing and. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that like Ron Gilbert has always thought about adventure game design and like and how to make it better or more friendly and more like user friendly. Like when he talked about making like the cave and like how he conceptualizes death and and in games and LucasArts has always been overall very user friendly or tries to be in their design of games. And it's really fascinating to see kind of this more these modern sensibilities attached to the old style of adventure game. Cause it still is like that monkey Island return to monkey Island is still very old school feeling, but with all of these wonderful modern conveniences. Yes. Yep. So that was a delight. I think, okay. So, and then moving on to the next one, uh, I might be encroaching on your list. I don't know, but Norco. Mm, was, Norco's a good game. Um, we might talk about Norco. Okay. Okay, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll cruise through this, but um, and also none of these choices are in any order. I there's no way I could pick whatever. Uh, I think this is another choice you probably had. Maybe Citizen Sleeper. Oh, Citizen Sleeper is a very good game. It's a very good game. <clears throat> I love that game. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else you got though, Mike? What else you got? All Give right, some, here's something um, spicy. Give me something spicy. I want a spicy one. Okay, I didn't timed this very well because my last well my next game was uh he fucked the girl of me which we talked about in the queer games bundle episode um, i know i haven't listened to it i need some information because you so, have talked okay i've heard multiple people talk a lot about this game and i think it we it, this is one of those few games that needs to be re uh revisited in a podcast form so that people are more aware of it. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, no, no, just go listen to the other podcast. No, no, talk to me about this game because I okay. don't actually don't know anything about it, but lots okay, of okay. people have told me it's fantastic. It, it, yeah. Um, it is kind of a visual novel, interactive fiction game about uh, the developers' experiences doing sex work and the trauma that came from that. So it's really heavy game. There's content warnings in it and, you know, yeah. uh, some... If you do play it, make sure you listen to those. But uh, it was made in GB Studio. So it is okay. a, a Game Boy game. Um, you can play it in the browser. You don't need to download an emulator. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's just it's a pretty short game. Um, and I, it's just... Just an incredibly personal feeling game. Very yeah. Like, um, a very... <clears throat> rich and vibrant series of emotions and like yeah, just, you're, you're just and honest. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. And it's, yeah, there is this fantastic writing um, and really interesting art for a Game Boy game. So it, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's just really, a really 
I've seen this a lot when you talk about the art, because I saw a screenshot of this. And what's really interesting is that the Game Boy Studio has been having a lot more people kind of working with it and doing some really interesting art for it in particular. Because I even had a a friend who made kind of this, this horror adventure game kind of thing with it. And it was incredibly like stylistic and really interesting visuals. And it had a similar kind of art to it that is just very striking and very unique. And to see that kind of stuff be on a Game Boy is so unusual because you don't think about that typically. But there have been a lot of games on the Game Boy in its history that have actually had really interesting artwork for it that is actually quite good. But a lot of people don't associate those sorts of things. And then you have these artists. It kind of reminds me of like the Amiga art back in the day and people doing Amiga art and Commodore 64 art and like just putting that stuff out there during the, the height of the that hardware, uh, that kind of visual just just really working with, with the limitations to make something really visually striking. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, well, the Game Boy is interesting to me, especially because, you know, this up until, you know, it, for the most part, people, the game's, people know about on Game Boy are just things that Nintendo had to approve and allow on the platform. And so like now that you, this platform's more open and approachable for people to make games on because of this Game Boy Studio, you have all these yeah. interesting visual styles on it and t- yeah. types of games. Like this is not a game that Nintendo would ever allow on the <laughs> never, platform. No, and, no, and, never in a million years. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and it's a tool that's, my understanding is pretty easy to use and learn. Yeah. And um, it's very adventure friendly. It's very uh-huh. adventure friendly. There's a lot of people that go, uh, use it kind of like, I mean, if you could imagine like taking a visual novel, but also adding kind of the the way that you navigate in a in a Japanese RPG, but then adding these kind of adventure elements and, and visual novel elements to it. Um, it's really simple. Uh, system to do for that particular style and a lot of people have attached themselves to that because of it it's really interesting yeah it's great i'm glad that it exists and i hope we see tools like that for other platforms i mean i'm sure they exist for some platforms but just continuing to make tools for making games on older consoles that are easy to use um, yes. Mike, I asked for spicy and you gave me spicy. I, I like did. I, I did not. We did not plan that. But um, enough about my <laughs> opinions on games and stuff. What are what did what were some of your picks? I'm going to start on the low end here, Mike. We're going to reach the top. We're going to go to number one eventually here. But I'm going to talk about old first. My um, favorite old adventure game that I played uh, this year was an Infocom game that I played with my good friend, Nick. Uh, We have been going through the entire catalog of Infocom games chronologically. Um, And we started off uh, 2022 with a banger uh, in Infidel. That was my favorite Infocom game that I had played that year. Um, Albeit that year was a lot of stinkers in terms of Infocom games. Uh, (laughs) But that was definitely like the best. I really enjoy it. Have you played Infidel? No. I know about it. I, yeah, it's kind of a, is it divisive? Is it considered more divisive? It is incredibly divisive. It was more so, I think, back in the day than it is now. Um, It was very uh, poorly received because of it using a very different narrative structure. So it was like the first 
um, Infocom game to have you be a defined protagonist. Um, so the, the plot of the game is you are a archaeologist, a skeezy one, who uh, is trying to uh, make it big and find his first big find uh, in Egypt. And um, your entire crew has left you because you're a complete ass to them. And you are now left having to scour the desert to find this tomb and then solve puzzles within it in order to find this big treasure. And it was very divisive at the time because, one, the protagonist is despicable. Like, he is a terrible, selfish, greedy human being, but that's also kind of the point. And not to spoil anything, but the ending is also the biggest divisive thing because a lot of people did not appreciate how it ends because it is not your typical ending of like, hooray, happy ending. Um, but that was also really fantastic for it. It was really good because it it eschewed the, the, the stereotypical stuff that Infocom was doing. And it had really interesting and engaging puzzles. It also implemented... Um, uh, you know, symbols to to create, you know, like their version of hieroglyphs, even though they weren't really and they weren't necessary in order to understand the game. But they offered some insight if you were able to translate them and figure them out. It gave you a lot of great insight into what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to approach puzzles as a nice little like side hint and also provide some context. Um, but Infidel was so much fun because it tried to do some new things for Infocom. Infocom was struggling with a lot of man uh, inventory management problems. And so they implemented like the backpack that you could use to store items that you could carry with you and like a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, kind of tried to make things easier for people who played Infocom games. Um, and uh, it was made by Michael Berlin who did Suspended. And it is his second game for Infocom. And it was, I feel, because like, Suspended is a game that a lot of people really love. And I honestly enjoyed Infidel a little bit more, even though I feel Suspended it tries to do some very revolutionary things, even like throughout the entire history of Infocom. I think Suspended is probably its most uh, daring game mechanically. Um, but uh, but Infidel is, I think, is strongest so far that I've played. It's really, really good. And I enjoyed that a bunch. Um I highly recommend it for people who want to get into Infocom games because it was really good. Um, the The second game that I want to talk about, Mike, I know I've played this one a million times. This is me revisiting it. This is a game that I know that Mike does not like remotely. Oh, what? Oh, what? Return to Zork. It's Return to the Zork. Uh, real magic version. Is that? Yeah. So Return to Zork <laughs> was uh, a the the first graphical. Um, installment of the Zork franchise post Activision acquisition. And um, it was full motion video um, and had a point and click interface, a first person perspective, similar to something like Miss, but it predates Miss by a few months. Um, and I love this game. You think it's a terribly designed game. I do, but I think it's got a lot of really interesting ideas. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, it's a waste. Throw it away. Like, if I had to do a star rating, it really would only be just like two out of five stars or something like that, where it's just like, it doesn't quite cross so over, but like if some of the puzzles were a bit better, then it'd be like, okay. But, um, because I love the verb diamond, 
I guess that's yeah. what you call it. I think that's a really interesting idea. And it's kind of disappointing that no one's really followed it out because it's not the same thing as a verb coin. It's yeah, because it's, it expands and shrinks based on the item. You're like, it's a really good idea. And I think it works well in that game. Yeah. Um, Callahan's, do, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon does something oh, yeah. kind of similar to it. Kind of, but it's in a, it's in a, it's not as a, in a visually aesthetically pleasing way, Yeah, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, the verb diamond is, so essentially when you click on any item, uh, it'll bring up a diamond of a variety of different actions that you can do with things. And of course, if you have an item in your hand, when you're trying to interact with something, that diamond gets even bigger at that point with more different actions and things you can do. Um, and it was just, it was really cool to look at because it was all animated and it's just, it had so much style to it. Um, but this version of Return to Zork, uh, People hate the the game for a variety of certain puzzles that I disagree with wholeheartedly. I can't wait for the day that that's in the Adventure Games Club for... I'm going to make that happen one We're day. We're doing Zork Nemesis, but I like that game. Zork that's Nemesis all. is great. It would be great. Um, but uh, this is the real magic version. And what happened, why I'm picking this one is because um, there, were, there were three different versions of the game. So there was one that had no voices, which was done entirely on discs. Um, or I guess it had some technically, uh, then there's the CD-ROM version, which had full motion video and a CD sound, uh, you know, and like full orchestrated music, which the music is absolutely stellar. Mm -hmm. I love the music of Return to Zork. I do too. But there was a third version that not a lot of people knew about, and that was the real magic version. You needed this real magic, uh, video card. I mean, this is the only way I can describe it as a video card. It's not really, but like... It was allowed to play like pretty much uncompressed MPEG video. Um, and so this version of Return to Zorik has a 100% full motion video. Uh, the CD version would have instances, especially when doing like dialogue with, N uh, with the NPCs outside of um, like the, your first introduction to them um, or major elements where you're making a trade with them or something like this. They, they would be static sprites that were digitized and the, the real magic was full FMV and it looked fantastic. It sounded fantastic. Um, but the, it keeps all these weird flubs. Like it feels yeah, like they took the so first weird. take. Yeah. Cause the, the actors mess up so much. I mean, so that's probably, much. that's probably all they had time for realistically. I think that's what happened. It's like watching really, really old doctor who, like the first three seasons where they're just like, we only have time and film for one take. So like they, yeah keeping all the flubs if you ever watch the first two three seasons of doctor who there's flubs in there where they just <laughs> it's especially, like, yep, let's just go and so i assume that's just what happened with return to zork and you don't notice it in the retail the retail version everyone knows that's on gog and stuff because they can just yeah edit around that it. yeah 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 but, but uh but also what's great about it is that it has more scenes that aren't in the um, the CD-ROM version that add more context and story to the world. Um, there's, uh, there's a puzzle near the end that is pretty arbitrary and it doesn't, it, I mean, it makes sense once you kind of understand what they're doing, but it's, it's really hard to, to get. But um, there are these scenes where they talk about that puzzle a lot. Wait, which one are and, you the invisible, the uh, the the oh. illusion, the illusion. Okay, that's there. Yeah, yeah. Like they talk about that a lot in the the real magic version of it. 
Um, and so you can kind of like understand the puzzle a lot more. And that seems to happen a lot with a lot of things. Um, and it also includes um, scenes uh, that were meant to be in the original, like in the final game, or they reference puzzles that were in the final game that aren't. Um, so that's also really interesting is that like, there's a, there's a magic tree and, uh, it'll talk about like, tread lightly on my friends. And you're like, okay, it doesn't mean anything. It's because there are supposed to be these mushroom people that you'd have to interact with. And that's completely removed from the game, but it it's still like the dialogue relating to them is still in it in this version. Um, and I just, there's something so magical about Return to Zork. It's it's witty, it's silly, it's stupid, but it's just, it's magical. And if anyone ever complains about the bonding plant puzzle, they're dumb. It's a I, bad puzzle. I, it's, no, I think it's... no, because I just recently replayed it again and I found context for the, the bonding plant. Like I found context to tell you how to not be softlocked. You can't be softlocked. And you it tells can't... you. Mm, it, it tells I don't you. agree. It, I think... I know it's not a soft. I feel like it's a not technically a soft block, but it basically is. There's there's a part of the game that tells you what to do if it dies. But then you have to like you have to burn it or eat it, and then it comes back. And it only doesn't come back until after you. It's just like and it tells it's you a though, the game tells you though where does where does it do that? Where in the filing cabinet? In the file cabinet. The yeah, filing cabinet sucks. It's a bad design. You have to. I the think. filing cabinet is a Steve Moretzky. Like, that is a Steve Moretzky move. It's trying to create lore and world building. And, like, it's kind of dull, but, but it is. That's why I don't like because it's a big lore dump to me. Yeah. Because it's just it like, is. I don't like it. But, yeah, but I, like, we don't know how to contextualize these puzzles. Here you go. <laughs> but that's why I don't like the. But I like. This is my, I think the why the game frustrates me so much is like, I like everything around the puzzles, like the verb point, the music, not all the humor lands for me, but it's so weird. That's, it kind of rolls off because I, I like the weirdness. It's a weird, weird game. Weird game. I like, and, but there's also like multiple solutions for a lot of the puzzles and a lot of people aren't aware of those situations. And mm-hmm. so there's, there's a lot of weird little details and a lot of people, when they were watching me play this, they're like, how did you get past that? The duck? And I'm like, I just did this. They're like, Oh, but this, this thing happens. Like, no, it doesn't. I did, I did this and I'm fine. And they're like, huh? And you know, people are like, Oh, what about this thing? How did you get them to say that? It's like, Oh, I did this sequence of events and they're like oh i never came across that it's like yeah there's so many things to it there's more layers to it than you think and it's just it's hard to find some of the stuff in return to zork that makes it really weird and interesting do you think okay well two things i so i thought i heard that the game was originally easier or like planned designed to be easier and then they kind of thought they needed to make it harder because the previous Infocom that's not really Infocom game was too easy to people. And so they're. Yeah. So I think I wonder, that, that may have been the case. Cause there's definitely some puzzles. Like there's like the sliding tile puzzles that are like, why is sliding this? tile puzzle? I don't like the minecart one, even though it's, I like the minecart one. Mm. I like the minecart one. Like it's weird because you don't, if you don't pick up on the clues for the minecart puzzle, 
you know, it's it's impossible. But once you do pick up on the clues, you're like, oh my god, this is. This I just is, don't. This uh, is when I talk about the dumb. This is when I talk about dumb. It's dumb, but it's like you guys are so sweet, but so charming. Um, but then there's stuff that's like weird. That's like I like, or just like the comedy club on the side. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I love. But it's weird. For Illuminate. <laughs> but. I- <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it's also weird. So it's like, I can't get mad at it because it's just so out there. Like, and I like the wall of illusion yeah. and I like, yeah. it's just a lot of weird stuff where it's like, and I kind of like the villain too. I don't know how people feel Morpheus. about Morpheus. I, I just, think Morpheus is, is uh, I mean, uh, I played also this year Sorcerer, which I hated Sorcerer on the Infocom text adventure game. But like, I feel that Morpheus is kind of along the, the lines of like the, the villain in Sorcerer and also the, the villain in, in, um, in uh, Nemesis. People always talk about Nemesis being some totally different game. Uh, no, because there's always these demons and kind of dark forces always uh-huh. in a lot of these art games. But uh, I, I dug Morpheus. I thought it was cool. Like them talking to you in your dreams and yeah, haunting yeah. you. I like that a lot. And and haunting everybody in the in the, the town. And like, yeah, he doesn't have as much of a presence as you think. But like you can get him talking a lot if you sleep more often. And a lot of people just don't. They don't sleep as often because you don't need to. Right. Um, but there's a lot of scenes with him that people just miss out on. Well, it has an effect on everyone in the town. Like everyone's freaked out. And I think that's interesting stuff. Even if you don't see yeah. him, he's there kind of like, yeah. it's cool. Canuck and the duck and yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it, that's a, that was a good one. But uh, that was one of my favorites I played this last year, just because I got to experience this game that I love that is flawed, horribly flawed. But um, in a way that I had never experienced it before and was only recently made available in 2022 through uh, emulation so like they finally got DOSBox to emulate the real magic card which is why i bring it up and think that it's of like huge note is because it was only available to play on modern hardware just this last year okay so yeah and this is a follow-up but so how one how did you emulate this i think you kind of answered that already but did you have to download a special you just download yeah. did you just run it in DOSBox or was it No, there there was there was a special build of it that you can find. I'll have to get the link for you and we can put it in the show notes. Um but uh yeah, there's a special build for it that that does it specifically and it's simple. It's just like just running DOSBox. Okay. It, it just has it's it's uh all set up, all the settings are done and set up. You don't have to do anything but just run it and and mount your disk and stuff. Okay, and then would, for the second question, would you say this is the definitive version of the game? Like, or like, if you had to recommend one version, which one it's would you? So, it's, it's so hard. Okay, so like, if you've played, uh, if you played Return to Zork before, and you like it, I recommend playing it. If you've never played Return to Zork before, yes, <laughs> but it doesn't have the CD music. Oh, that's right. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this is tough. It doesn't have the CD okay. music. And so I'm like, oh, I can't do it because the CD music is I know. so good. I know. Okay, and I would I'm not. Like, okay, I would recommend just the retail, the Steam one because, yeah. I mean, you can recommend. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but because of that and just like, you know, the videos, a nice improvement. The, the, the flub jokes, like, yeah, the, the like the road jokes, to the what, south what, where it's yeah. just like, like the punchline's 
ruined by ruined. like the ruined joke. They ruin jokes, but there's with, more scenes that are more contextualized for some of the puzzles. So like it would be easier for some new player to play this and then understand the puzzles more. But you're also missing out on some of the experience that makes it magical in that CD audio, which is just absolutely way ahead of its time. We never saw very many games. I don't think we saw any in that time using like real audio instead of mm -hmm. like using synthesizers and these sorts of things. Like they use real recorded like, you know, flautists and uh, and tuba and like real instruments. And, and all this stuff is just so so rich it's oh, really man. good yeah so good music um but yeah yeah so i would i would recommend for a fan of return to zork to play it because it is there's just so much more to it and it's so weird because i know all the lines by heart like the rhythm and all of it and it's so different in terms of the delivery of all the lines and i'm just like i'm playing a completely new game this is so weird <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, it's like you, you know, when you see like deleted scenes from like movies you like and stuff, it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, okay. from like when you like a deleted scene from Star Wars pops up after like decades and so it's like, <laughs> whoa, that's weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, we need like an ultimate return to Zork version that combines yeah. like with Monkey Island, <sighs> where there's like the ultimate talkie version. Yes, we need that the original visuals and the talkie with the commentary with the director commentary. And it's sad, too, because the, the director of Return to Zork hates the game. And it was because it was a bad experience developing it because Activision was going under completely. And then Bobby Kotick, you know, buys it up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and he's like, Zork is the greatest thing ever, which is I the only thing I'll ever agree with Bobby Kotick on is that Zork is pretty awesome. Oh, he's um, actually a fan of. He loves Zork. And he's like, Zork will sell. You put it in a box and it'll sell. Like you put the name Zork on things and people will just buy it. And he he really did like believe that Zork was really good. Oh, that's weird. Um, and so like this was like the one that was going to return Activision. And uh, but it was like, you have six months to make this game. You can say Lost Treasures of Infocom really helped Activision. Like, yeah. I, I think that's what I've heard. Like that those re-releases brought in a lot of money for basically no effort cost. Yeah. And that's why also we got three modern Zork games under Activision at the time. Mm -hmm. And why you see Zork in Call of Duty in a Call of Duty game and like um and uh it's just it's just really interesting. But they had six months to make it. They're doing FMV and doing it like coinciding with the seventh guest and guest. Yes. So of course, like this is all new. You know, no one has really done this before. And then doing this orchestrated music and like this giant production of trying to figure things out and having almost no time at all to do it. And at the time, he wasn't a seasoned developer. So like this was kind of like his first big thing. And he's like, I look at this very poorly. I look yeah. back on this very poorly. And I'm like, oh, man, I just wish you'd know that like there are people who really adore yeah. this game, even though it is so flawed. Well, like, I mean, no, clearly it has fans and like, yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have fond memories of it. You saw people reciting the Want Some Rye course you do. Of course like, you do. Yeah. Like, it's... It's good. It's it's good. It, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess we should move on from Zork. We'll, do, we'll have to yeah. do a whole return. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. like, oh, this is going to be just a really quick one, and we're already half an hour into recording, and I spent like oh. 25 minutes talking yeah. about Return to Zork. That's fine. What, um, so what, what's next on your... Citizen Sleeper. Oh, yeah. All right. So yeah. uh, 
I I play I didn't play these with the club, and I'm sorry, Mike. I am a bad club member. I didn't play these along with the club. I played them like after the fact or like a month after. Um, I enjoyed Citizen Sleeper a bunch. Um, this kind of visual novel styling mixed with tabletop elements, um, and it being a, this this resource management game. Uh, like I guess for those who just hadn't listened to the episode, please do. It's really good. The episode really talk about Citizen Sleeper. Where well, you did one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's such a such a um like overflowing with character uh you play this game i I would say that like i when i had played this i had kind of saw through some of its mechanics and its design where it lost some of its luster and magic for me in particular but that didn't uh diminish i think the impact that it had for me because its characters and its story shined far more than than its mechanics um, and in reality, like, uh, so essentially what it is, is you're a, an Android who has human consciousness and sentience. It's like your, your brain's put into a synthetic body and you try to escape your lifetime of servitude. And you're on this like rogue space station and trying to just survive. And you have dice rolls that, that, um, are predetermined at the beginning of the day to help you try to, uh, succeed in tasks as you progress and gain resources and survive. Um, but what makes it so interesting is just there's so great characters and there's so many instances where I'm just like, I, I excited for the next day and I hope I get good dice rolls. Cause I really want to hear what these people have to say and these characters and these stories that I come across. And it just became infinitely more um, intriguing when I had played through it. I ended up being in a situation where I was doing all of the storylines at once. And so uh, like, I got one particular ending, but um, I did like every storyline thread to completion to the point where you have to choose one and that's the ending. And I picked one of them that I didn't know. I didn't know this at the time. Um, So I got to see so much of it. And it was it was such a just like I remember the characters. I remember the stories. It has been almost a year since I played it. And if they still stick with me now a year later. That says so much about that game. And um, it won, did it win games for Impact at the Game Awards, I think is what it won. Did it? I believe it. Okay. Yeah, it, it won games for Impact, I think. And uh, it's a worthy award for it. Um, but it wasn't my favorite that year. Oh, okay. Oh. But, it wasn't my uh, favorite. Oh, so you have one left? I have one left. Okay. It's my all-time favorite this, this last year. Uh, the one that I felt got snubbed so many times... And it deserved all the praise in the world. And that was Norco. Norco was just, it hit me so hard. That was an emotional roller coaster. Um, It is a, it is a story about a girl who runs away from home in a near future um, world. Um, She lives in, she was born and raised in Norco, Louisiana, which is a oil town. Like it's run by an oil refinery company, like they run the, the town and it's a, in real life. This is a real place. And um, and it is, of course, plagued with horrible, horrific like accidents on, at the refinery and stuff like this. And lots of people suffer because of just life and health conditions and real estate crisis and just this this corporation kind of just crushing people. And that is kind of what this is about, even though it takes place in this kind of. Uh, quasi cyberpunk near future 
Um, you play this girl who runs away from home and then her mom passes away and she comes back and her brother's missing and her just trying to put all the pieces together and reconnect with this town. And you have, and it, it plays kind of like the, um, uh, the games like Uninvited or Deja Vu, if you play these old school adventure games, just kind of the way that the, the, the UI is set up and how you explore the world. Um, but uh, it just, it's art is some of the most beautiful uh, pixel art and like that I've ever really seen. I mean, we would call it pixel art, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, amazing atmospheric music that just kind of really strikes the perfect tone for the emotions. I'm one of those weird people that when we talk about music in games, uh, I'm usually very hard on music in games because typically um, people or game designers will utilize music to evoke the emotion and not let the game or the writing evoke that emotion and let the music elevate it, if that makes any sense. Um, and in the case of Norco, this is elevating the uh, the emotions because it's not anything that you can sit there and be like, oh, I love this song from Norco. But when you think of Norco, you you hear the tones and you you just you hear that music in your head and it, it just kind of it, it's it's like a background music that just seeps into your very psyche. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I'm crazy. Yeah, it's the only game soundtrack I bought on vinyl this year. So I do really? have that. Oh, vinyl. Yeah. Um but I but to add to this that Norco is a game that I have never felt any other game has met in in creating something that felt so real. Um, he the developer writes this from experience, like they have talked and filmed about life in Norco, and that's where they're from. And I uh, I've never felt these these characters that feel so real, and these situations that come up that feel so just inherently human, and they don't. So it's a there's moments when this game gets very absurd and very out of control, but at no point do I ever sit there in like disbelief because those absurdities tap into a really kind of like basic human nature and how people really do behave, cults and this obsession over mortality and legacy and these sorts of things are all touched on in this game and they they just heighten them with just this strange, fantastical set of whimsy and and remorse and just these broad ranges of emotions. And it's it's just it's so sweeping. It is it is a tidal wave that you just you get swept up in. And it is I cannot stress enough. Norco is so fantastic. It 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 helps that um, when I, I play this, I streamed this and a lot of folks will tell you. This is a streaming tip here. Anyone who out there wants to stream, a lot of people are going to tell you that when you stream a game, there's emotional disconnect. You typically separate yourself from the game because you're talking to other people and chatting with them and these sorts of things. And I will tell you that that is an out and out lie. Uh, what that means is, is that the person telling you this makes that emotional disconnect as a conscious choice. They, they don't, you know, because they don't want to show these emotions on camera in front of all these other people that could be strangers for a lot of folks it is um but when i streamed this i had uh two dear friends who were in the chat who were born and raised in louisiana and they lived right outside of norco and so like 
them talking to me and being like, that's a real place, this abandoned mall. Like, oh, I've been to that mall a million times and it is abandoned now. Yeah, like, and it's very much this. Like, they capture the essence of this environment and of these people and these places so wonderfully. And to have this perspective in that moment when you're playing a game and you're, you're feeling the reality of it, and then you have these other people coming in who are watching you and they're like, we lived this as well. And this is so right. This is so on point and this is so striking. And to have that perspective there in real time in that moment is a testament to how technology and how we connect with other people um, can elevate a, an experience. And it was just it made it all the more heightened. I would have loved this game no matter what. But uh, to have these other people share their experiences as well in that moment made me love this game more. And um, yeah, just Norco was so special. And it drives me crazy that not many people talked about Norco. Not many people talked about Norco at all as much. It, it did okay. It, it's, yeah. I mean, I know, you know, with any game that is really good that in it's close to home, that you'd like to have it always do better, of course. But I, my understanding is that it did, it did all right. It did all right. It did very well, absolutely. But like, it didn't. It didn't get as much as I feel it should. Like you know, people are always talking about like Monkey Island. Return to Monkey Island. Like, I love Monkey Island. I love Ron Gilbert, and I love his his iconoclastic design philosophies and his spit in your face just 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 to, just to spite you. But it doesn't hold a candle to Norco. Norco was one of the best adventure games and like interactive fictions that I have played uh, in, in ever. Cause it was just, there was nothing quite like it. There was nothing quite like it. It was so good. So I guess a couple things, um, I'll have to put this in the show notes. Uh, I, hopefully I remember, but there was a, a friend of the developer who did a stream for the entire game. That's like a yeah. historian. And he was going oh. it all into like, the history of all these regions that the game explores and like I'll have to link this to you too, because I think you would enjoy, but it was just uh, very, it was really interesting. Great. Um, then also, because there's some of these mythological creatures and like these stories and they're like, Oh yeah, those are real stories. Like those are real things that people like would talk about, you know, that aren't real of course, but like, uh, you know, the, these rumors and, and just mythological beasts, these, these, uh, cryptids that people would talk about and i'm just like yeah it just captures so much also i will note that the game has it was for me talking about such a like intense emotional game it has the funniest one of the funniest stories i've ever heard told in a video game in my entire life and that is the poop story uh everybody has a everybody has a poop story in their life um and the developer shared their poop story and I asked him outright, like, is this real? It is too absurd to not be real. And he's like, it is a mixture of two very real stories. And I'm just like, yes, vindication. Like, it's so real. It's so insane. It's the most insane story I've ever heard. And I was just cracking up, just losing my mind. And just to have something so absurd and so comical hit you in these moments that are so grim and eerie. It just, it, 
elevates it in such an interesting way. I don't know. I just love this game. Well, and I'm, the ugh. game needed the humor because, or else yeah. it'd be just this mis- miserable like slog. And it, there needs to be like yeah. a pressure valve that's just like okay. Yes, you need okay that. And, and I would say that like the and the the last half of the game, there's a lot more of that implemented into it. The first half is still like really intense and really mm-hmm. sad and all these things, but that second half is just there's just these absurd moments and there's an absurd moment that I did not experience that you told me about that I should do. And I did not end up getting it done. I totally missed the the mark on it and I would have loved to have seen it. Um, but there's a lot of absurdity hidden within this that surprisingly doesn't detract from its writing and its story. Mm-hmm. And in reality elevates it and it makes it feel more real because there's so many instances, you know, these people who suffer in life aren't just suffering they do have these moments of levity. They do have these moments of, of resilience and, and rebellion and like, you know, uh, flipping the bird and, and that sort of thing at that they, at the man. And these things do that in this game, you know, and nobody is one note at any right. point. And yeah. that's so important is they're not one note in, and they're not predictable in that way. You don't, you learn about a character based on these things that they do. And it's, it's so complex in that way. And it's just, it's so fantastic. You don't get a story like this uh, and characters like this. If you haven't lived these things, if you haven't been in this moment and he very clearly did very clearly did. And Um, it's very powerful. And then I guess the last thing uh, before we start moving to like listener messages and letters I think you brought up before. I don't know if you mentioned it for this game too, but with like Ron Gilbert, Monkey Island, that like there's kind of like a trolling aspect to it. Yes. I don't know if I completely agree because I think he has a, like a lot of respect for the player. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's not just to like troll people. Like I think this comes up with like David Lynch a lot with like Twin Peaks where there's moments. And then I think, I don't know. I think, I don't think he's, they're intentionally trolling. It's not intentionally trolling, but it is definitely a middle finger. I'm going to do what I want. All of you have told me not to do this. I'm still going to do it because that's what I want to do. And like, yeah, like he's, he, he wants to do what he wants to do and no one is going to tell him no. And when you do, you can tell those moments when somebody has mentioned you should, I don't know if this is a good thing to do because I feel like that moment gets amplified a lot more. (laughs) Like we talk about the ending of Thimbleweed Park. I feel oh, like okay. somebody told him, no, that's, I don't like this ending. And he's just like, nope, I'm going to make it even bigger. I'm going to make it even bigger and louder and more the thing you don't like. And I feel like that's just how he is as a person, which I okay. very much respect. <laughs> I don't respect okay. this. Because I feel like that came up. Oh, I guess you'll see once you get to the game, but I feel like that came up yeah. a bit with monkey island both criticism and discussion it's not necessarily all people complain about but like it's like i don't necessarily agree with that game but um it wasn't just us that had opinions on adventure games we should yeah we had some people write in and send us voicemails um let's hear it all right so let's do huh yeah, let's do the emails first. Um, emails, emails. What, okay. what emails? So, um, 
Yeah, you you want to you want to read the? I guess it, we we'll have one email and one Discord, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, email. I'll let you, hit the email. All right. So from the longest J club member, uh, they wrote in and said, "Hello, Michael, and the rest of the Adventure Game Club podcast. It's no secret that 2022 has been an exceptional year for adventure games, arguably one of the best. As such." it was pretty much impossible to keep up with everything good being released this year. In 2021, I played the demo for Narco, and my takeaway was that it would likely be my favorite game of 2022. That turned out to be the case, but I won't get into why I enjoyed it so much since you've already covered it on the podcast. I did want to mention one game I really enjoyed from 2022 and that I think has gone overlooked, which is About an Elf. According to the developer, Marang... Interactive, About an Elf is a point-and-click-ish, RPG-ish, visual novel-ish game of elf-tastic proportions. The first thing to notice is the unique visual style. It doesn't really look like any other game I've seen. The plot doesn't make doesn't really make a lot of sense, but the zany, zany humor, catchy music, and main character Princess Stam made it an experience I have not forgotten. If you're familiar with the ska punk band The Aquabats, then you'll know exactly what kind of vibe this game has. If you're not, then check out the trailer and you'll know if it's the kind of game for you. Did you Thanks check for- out the trailer, Mike? We did. And <laughs> I did, and that is a wild looking game. I've never heard of it until reading this letter right before recording. Um, it is fascinating i, I kind of i really want to check it out now and pick up the game because it was very it's a very distinct style i think i saw a youtube comment that compared the game to the visual style a little bit to hylix which is a game on itch uh okay. which also i don't know if you're familiar with that game it kind of has this handcrafted stop motiony visual style oh I yeah. guess um, this game kind of like the, the game, the, the everything in the game kind of looks like a model, I guess, kind of, mm-hmm. I would say um, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. To, to, to give you an understanding of this listeners is that imagine if there was a, if uh, Taylor Swift was a Flash Gordon character from the eighties and it is a visual novel mixed with point and click elements where she's running around these really uh just eccentric art you know like the little tiny punching clown toys and like flying through space and like just uh, think of it kind of like Katamari Damacy meets the Aquabats meets just f- like weird weird french game i thought it was a french game at first cuz it just looks so absurd visually and uh, it looks absolutely up my alley. I've never seen any game that kind of looks like this. Uh, it is wild. Look it up. About enough seems really weird. Yeah, I'm surprised like neither of us have heard about it until just now. I don't know if it's a big release or what, but it's, I've, yeah, it's really cool. And I'm happy they wrote in to let us know about it. Yeah. Um, and then of course we got another we got another uh point for Norco. Yeah. And then um nope. from uh Secret Fallfall and the club Discord as well, we got a Discord message saying, Hola, I didn't have time to record a message for the podcast, but my 
game of the year picks are Return to Monkey Island and Signalis. And if games from other years are allowed here, then Jenny LeClue and Oberdin too. Oh, and also the English version of Witch of on the Holy Night. Mm-hmm. Now, Oberdin is a game that has been on my list for far too long. It's one of those ones that like is always the, I'll get to that. And every person is like, you need to get to it now. <laughs> like, yeah. This is a game for you. And it is. It's one... I desperately need to play it. I probably will play it this year, maybe. I don't know. Yes. Yes. I think you would really enjoy it. But maybe I'm wrong. I get weird about games where I'm like, I have to have this weird insatiable urge and it comes at random moments and there's no real, there's no real rhyme or reason behind it. You know, it's like, I'm a person who loves adventure games a lot. And as I talked so romantically about Norco, I also have spent like 120 hours playing Dragon Ball The Breakers, a really stupid Dragon Ball Z game. So like to tell you how my moods swing in terms of video game preferences, and that came out of nowhere. Well, I think like, especially with adventure games, you have to be in the mood for a certain kind of story. Like, yeah, like I moved to Norco kind of slowly, even though like it's one of my favorite games this year, like, but it's heavy. And I, even though I love the game, there's caveats when I have to recommend it because it's like, you want a game like, yeah, someone with cancer is a character you play as like, there's stuff like that. Um, so it's heavy, but it's weird for me, I guess, in my instance for something like Norco is only just because like those types of emotional moments, like it, that stuff never brings me down. It very much, I feel compelled. Like it, there's something weird about an emotional story that's really dark and heavy, but also very real is that I tend to appreciate them a lot more. And I feel uh, like there is this drive to finish that story because I I need I'm connected. I'm connected. Like the mortality of things. You know, we all share this mortality. Norco taps into this thing and it taps into to these very raw human emotions that I feel that every human being should be aware of or be tapped into at some point or another. And this is a great experience to do so. Although there are some people who have lived very hard lives and do not want to deal with that anymore. And so like, I get that. Um, but yeah, sorry. But there's stuff, I mean, like even with other games, it's like, okay, I have to sit down and learn all these new characters and a story and stuff like that. Where like yeah. Dragon Ball Breakers, you just kind of like, <laughs> you can just play it. Like you don't you have to like, play it. so I, I get it. Um, Signals, I've heard a ton of great things about and I don't really know a whole lot about it, honestly. I think I saw yeah. some screenshots and looked very cool. Jenny LeClue is a game I just bought during the Steam sale and did not nice. get around to playing it yet, but it seems very cool. And I heard a lot of good Viewers things. It's very classic point and click. It looks very classic point and yeah. click, and I like that sort of thing. So that signed me up. And then Witch on the Holy Night is a new, also a new one to me. I think it's yeah. Nintendo Switch and PlayStation 4. I feel Perhaps. like... It's a console game. I, I think and I think it's yeah. on Windows in Japan. Yeah. I feel like this got very well reviewed with people in that uh, those circles, like people who love the Japanese visual novels, like this was big for them. That was huge for them. And uh, it got like, great reviews for it because of it. Like, for instance, right, we, we talk about, you know, I, I don't put a lot of weight into Metacritic things and that sort of stuff. But like it got, uh, you know, two critic reviews 
on Metacritic from, you know, like official PlayStation uh, magazine stuff, you know, and they gave it, you know, nine out of 10. And then like user reviews are really small, but like 10 and nine, like, so its averages are really high, but not many people are aware of it. But those, those people who love visual novels very much love this game, apparently. Yeah. And it's awesome that people are writing in to tell us about these games that are new to us. Um, Perspective is always wonderful. Yeah. So we also got some voicemails. Um, yes. So I think our first one is from Ben. Uh, he is a streamer. He does a lot of adventure game stream. He had Adventure Tuesday every oh. Tuesday. It's a wonderful, wonderful stream. I love watching it. Um, ben is the best. Ben is the best. Yeah. I love Ben to death. He is so, so, so great. And the Adventure Tuesdays, uh, I mean, uh, you can see PS underscore Garrick, G-A-R-A-K, like Tuesday nights at like 8 p.m. Eastern, I believe, around that time. Uh, 9. 8 p.m. Central. It's 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. And it is, he plays with his friends and hilarious. It is comedy gold. And like, it's so fantastic. It is, if you want a good time, that is the place to be. It's so good. Anyways, let's listen to his testimony now. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm uh, on Twitch is PS underscore Garrick. And my adventure game of the year 2022 is Perfect Tides. Uh, it, it is it's a game that is specifically designed for me, someone that was a weird uh, kid coming of age in the year 2000 uh, who had a lot of AOL Instant Messenger friends that in some ways, uh, initially, those relationships felt more real and strong than the people I knew at school. And then about how real life starts to supplant some of that. And, uh, you know, it, it would be one thing if this game was a exercise in nostalgia, which certainly there is a pleasure to the type of, you know, hearing a dial up, uh, or seeing, uh, the scene that's a reference to, um, what was it Final Fantasy seven, but it, there's a lot of wonderful emotional truth in the game that it manages to find within these uh, little fun, little nostalgia bites. And hey, I remember that moments. And it's also because it's from Meredith Gran, who is a uh, accomplished comics artist the octopus pie it just looks gorgeous uh and the the writing feels like dialogue that, that people would say it, it it's just really well written so anyway perfect tides game of the year 2022 runner up under a killing moon uh wonderful game uh i played it for the first time this year wonderful wonderful game all right peace oh all right so good perfect tides uh yeah. that's another one heavy on my list yeah. I, I look at this game 
And I'm like, what if Willie Beamish was more real and good? Yeah. Uh, it's a game that I own because I backed the Kickstarter for the sequel, but just because I heard so much good stuff about this and I got it as like, mm-hmm. you know, an extra thing you could add onto your Kickstarter campaign backing. So it, I own it. I should get around to playing it really soon. So I, so just having it sit in my backlog for years. Um, but yeah, I heard so many good things about this game. Yeah, being a teenager who uh, lived in the country and got access to like the internet um, in the in like 1999 to 2000, and like you could only do so for two hours a night, uh, like three days a week. Uh, like I lived on the internet, and like my relationships were almost solely on the internet. So like that was huge. That would be huge for me. Like to to the way he describes this is. I connect with this greatly as just like on a personal level where something like, you know, Norco, I can't connect on a, on like a experience level. I've never experienced those things, but perfect tides. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I could feel like I had lived in that moment, you know, and I'm very, I got to try it. I need to play it because that just seems right up my alley. And I remember catching to some of the streams. He mentions the Final Fantasy VII moment and I was there for that one. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is awesome. I can't wait. I got to play this. And that convinced me that was, I was set in for that one. I have to play it. Perfect Tide looks so good. Yeah. And then also, uh, Under a Killing Moon got a shout out then there. Yeah. Have you played that oh, before? Oh man. Okay. I have, I have, I have. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, I had played, uh, so I had this weird thing like where I was like, I'm going to play Under a Killing Moon. Everybody says it's great. And so I played through like the original Tex Murphy games first. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I and, tried. <laughs> oh, very different games. Very different yeah. type of game. So I, uh, but uh, yeah, because yeah, they have like weird first person 3D driving, open world driving. Yeah. That's so yeah. weird. But there's a flying car uh, under, simulator in that first game. Yeah. That, oh my gosh. But Under a Killing Moon is so funny. And so like, just again, it, it taps into what I love about Return to Zork. It's just so like stupid, <laughs> but you love it. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's like Money Python, right? Well, intentionally. So, I mean, it's, yeah, we wish yes. to clarify that it's intentionally. Yeah. Yes. Intentionally. So, but like you, we talk about like the humor of something like Monty Python, where it's just so silly. It's so silly and childish and, and stupid, but that makes it good and it makes yeah. you just love it and you connect with it. And that's the same case here. Um, and like just Under Killing Moon is just, it's charming. And some of its puzzles aren't the best. And, and like going through it, like, um, I definitely were like, yeah, there's some puzzles that aren't that great, but it's charm, it's presentation. And also like, I just love uh, like digitized actors in a 3D space, yes. like wandering the environments and seeing the digitized actors there. And like, there's just something that is just so, mm, it bibbles my giblies. I love it so much. And we also got, yeah, it's great. Uh, we also got a voicemail from Martine from, uh, who co-hosts the DOS Game Club. And I guess we'll listen to that now. If I had to pick one game for the whole year, it's probably this one. It's Norco. It's huge. It's fantastic. What a glorious game. Just a fantastic vibe. A really cool, magical story. Never quite sure what's real and what's not. Great music, great visuals. 
if there's if I had if I like if there was a gun to my head, <laughs> then this probably would take the cake, Norco. Yeah. In May, we played Flight of the Amazon Queen, which, you know, it's a plus one in my book anyway, because this is a DOS game and I love DOS games. I played this back when I was a kid, had sort of, well, not forgotten about it, but hadn't replayed it either. Got back into it, played it from start to finish and actually realized how much I loved this as a kid. I was all over this game as a kid and playing it now again made me remember just how fond I am of this game. This just has a special place in my heart and it's kind of quirky, kind of tacky, but it's really cool to me. So well done to the club as well for bringing that back. In June, we played Citizen Sleeper, which is another fantastic new game that I totally fell in love with. They say it's got paper, tabletop, RPG sort of elements. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about this anyway. It felt like a sort of adventure game to me, not really a pure one, maybe, as it has a lot of dice rolling and a lot of stats, but there's still a story. You know, if you if you walk around and you talk to people and you solve their problems, that's an adventure game, right? Sort of. I don't know. It's a fake genre. It's okay. But I I, I totally loved it. I was overwhelmed at first. But I got into it and by the end I was really sad that it was over because I was just having so much fun. And apparently there's some DLC out now. I'm looking forward to that for sure. In September we played Forgotten City. Another game I had heard a lot about. I had never played it. And I'm glad I got the chance now because this is just a fantastic game. This is really cool stuff and I was into it. And I was also on the podcast for this one, so I'm not going to say too much about it, but it is a really cool game. But it doesn't stop there. This year is amazing. I mean, it just keeps going. Because the next game is Return to Monkey Island, which was released in September, of course. I think it was featured for October in the club. That would make sense. I'm not sure. People started playing it anyway, right when it was released. I was one of them. Just a fantastic entry. Glad we got to see another real Monkey Island game by Ron Gilbert himself. So, yeah, just oozing nostalgia, but but also kind of making fun of it. And I don't know, it was just lovely to revisit this whole Monkey Island world and play as Guybrush again. So good stuff regardless. Probably one of the few games I would have played anyway if it wasn't for the club. But yeah, I hope you all have a great new year. And I look forward to playing more adventure games with all of y'all. So thanks, keep up the good stuff, and see y'all later. Bye. All right. That was Another nice. one for Norco! Yeah, I think that was a huge game in the club that year. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned Flight of the Amazon Queen, because that made me think about how <laughs> there were a couple times this year where before I went into them, uh, I remembered not really being super into the games. Um, but then when I replayed them, I ended up liking them a lot. I think maybe because I'm a little older or I just didn't play them. Maybe I just didn't, shouldn't have played them when I did, or I just wasn't, I don't, wasn't into it 
sometimes you have to do that with games. Sometimes you kind of yeah. aren't into it. Well, and, when I was a kid, I, I had played, I had a shareware version of Flight of the Amazon Queen. Um, it was like just a, the demo, like get out of the, um, get out of the hotel room um, in the very beginning or the, not the hotel room, but you know, the, the, the room in the very beginning. And as a kid, I was stumped. I had no clue. And I was like, this game is terrible. This game sucks. And that has always been in my head forever. And I remember just listening to you guys talk about the game and being like really keen on it and being like, okay, I need to give it another shot at some point. Cause that, that one room, I was young. I was stupid. I, I not, was not nearly as good at adventure games as I am now. And, uh, and yeah, so I have to give it a try. I'm also just so happy. Somebody else like Norco. I did forget too. Oh, Martin really brings up a really great, uh, game that i totally forgot to mention which was oh so good forgotten city yeah oh my god forgotten city was so good i played that last year and i love the characters the game is just rapid fire revelations where it's like i'm you're making connections to like you're you're picking up what the game is throwing down very quickly and like it is constantly happening there's never a moment where i'm like i never felt a moment where i was like what do i do you know, like the game always gave me this. It kept propelling me forward through this story and through these discoveries in Forgotten City. And I just love the characters. I mean, Galerius will always be in my heart, like as my favorite. Like, oh, I love you, Galerius. And I will always say like, Salve, friend. <laughs> just constantly. <laughs> it's a great game. It was a great game. I very much enjoyed it. I enjoyed the ending, although some people would disagree. I love the ending. Thank you. I needed yeah, it. We right. talked about it, but I enjoyed it. I too. don't. I don't typically like things wrapped up in nice, neat packages. And this was like one of those really rare instances where a game like Forgotten City, things that wrapped up in nice, neat packages. And I liked it. And I was like, Ooh, I, 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 they deserve this. We yeah, deserve this. yeah. That's, what, that's how I felt about it. Um, yeah. The go back to about reevaluating games that, you know, maybe that you didn't like it first uh with flight that one i play we talked about i'll go through this really quick but we talked about this um i played it i was in high school when it was made freeware and it's a very silly kind of it's it's a silly game it's very silly and um, <laughs> lighthearted. and i think when i played it it's just not the right age like i don't i did not want that kind of humor when i was 14 15 i was like too cool yeah. for school um, i was 14 15 i was like sorcerer or spellcasting 101 and 201 right. like, those were that was like my humor as yeah, a teenager so, and now as an adult i'm like no but <laughs> i just wasn't having that so i'm glad that i came back to that because i don't know why i let that i didn't even finish the game at the time but i'm glad that we went back and i ended up enjoying that one a lot um siberia was one that we played pre-podcast it was in january i think um yeah. and at the time my takeaway from it was that it was fine but very mm -hmm. overrated that's my takeaway that i had because i was like oh it's just people just like this game because it came out during the adventure game drought in quotes whatever um but when i came back to it i ended up liking it a lot more it, uh, there's still I think I still had some pacing issues with it, but I, I still overall, I liked the game a lot and uh, maybe not as hot on the sequel or on two. I think a lot of other people mm -hmm. like that one more and I had a hard time with three, but I want to 
finish it because I heard the newest one is fantastic, which is yeah, a little surprising, but it's a nice surprise to hear that because it's the designer's last game. Unfortunately, he passed away right before the game came out. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. So, but it sounds like like I, everyone that played it said it was incredible, and some people said it's their favorite adventure game. So wow. I'll have to Cause, yeah, because like, like really one. Go- I, I felt the same way with you in Siberia one when I played it when it had like come out and everyone was saying oh adventure games are back like oh man you know this is bringing back adventure games and I played it, I was like it's all right like it was it was interesting but it had major pacing issues and these major lulls were just like so slow and lethargic mm-hmm. and like pace and um and then I played two and I bounced off that so hard right uh, back in the day and um I never even knew there was a third one or a fourth one that's how oh, bad it was for yeah. me. I bounced off too so hard and um, just erased it from existence. Yeah, I I think for me, it's just as someone with a, a day job now, even though I like my job, it, it's the themes resonated more because it is about someone kind of having a, you know, this day job, but also wanting to explore these magical things. I don't know. It's just something about it. The writing just connected. I connected more with it oh. this time. And uh to has moments i like there's good stuff in there but also if even though it's the shortest game in the series apparently it also felt like parts of it were filler i guess so that's why yeah i don't know I, it's fantastic art of course but like yeah so but yeah I'll have to play an the interesting point you bring up such an interesting point, Mike, and this is something that I think that all people need to to be more aware of in just in general and how they live their life and how they they intake media and these sorts of things, right? You talk about perspective and like how your life has changed dramatically than when you played it the first time and how your perspective has has allowed you to connect with the story a lot more because of that. This is the case with everything. And there's mm-hmm. so many people that get so rigid in the, in their their life where they're like, I didn't like it then. I'm not going to like it now. And I'm like, no, you are a completely different person. You have changed dramatically. There was a situation where as a kid, like I played the original Earthbound on Super Nintendo, right? And I was like, this isn't for me. I don't like this. And then as an adult, I had my first child and we had like the Wii U and it was on the virtual console. And like, so I played that well late nights, you know, with the baby and I'd play it. And that game morphed dramatically to me in such a such a drastic way where I connected so hard with it, but in a way that was different than how everybody else had typically connected with it. I connected it because they're like, oh, kids having an adventure and growing up and all these things. And for me, I was like, I'm the parent in Earthbound where I'm like watching these kids grow up and go on an adventure and like I'm the parent's perspective from this and I have this newborn child like with me and it just it was so strong of an emotion and so like as a as a just a preachy thing because I am I am getting so so emotional here (laughs) uh the, the the key thing to take away from that is just that for everybody out there who will listen Never close yourself off to an experience, even if you had a negative experience originally. Your life has changed. You you will perceive and pick up on messages drastically different based on your own lifetime experiences. And you will be forever enriched if you do so. It is important. Sorry. Diatribe. No, that was all good stuff. Um, immortality, Mike. Immortality. immortality. Yeah, I was going to say, there's some games that I forgot to give a shout out to, and uh, Immortality was one of them. I really like that one. Uh, 
I don't want to have a whole lot to say about it. it was just, I just thought it was a very good FMV game. I I need to play it. Enjoy the developers' games. It. It's not too long. Uh, the, I guess the only issue I had with that one was I ran into a bug that kind of skipped the ending cutscene. So I didn't know I had reached... <laughs> there's no way you can repeat that cutscene. I guess this yeah. was something some people ran into. So I had to look it up on YouTube. And the first video I found was a guy yelling over the... <laughs> so that's how I experienced... <laughs> just yelling bro or something like that over the ending cutscene so i was like well this is not the ideal way to experience this game but (laughs) that definitely puts a damper on it for sure it's like losing save game data from like four hours of progress it's like i just oh yeah but i i still enjoyed it overall and i you know i'd recommend it and i think people other people in the club played it and really liked it too um and then speaking of revisiting games uh I'm just trying to think of other things I played and enjoyed that I just didn't put in my list. But um, sometimes you revisit games and they're awful, but that did not happen with me with Riven, where <sighs> I, we already talked about this. We don't, yes. but like, it was just, it was nice to re- revisit that and still have a very good time. And mm-hmm. um, that's always a good thing because there's sometimes you replay a game and there's, things that don't hold up as well it's true um i have one question for you because i I think we're about to wrap it up i have one question for you mike and that is is there anything coming out in 2023 what do you what is your hopes for 2023 for adventure games what are your hopes um that's a big question i know i it's hard because like going into 2022 i was so caught off guard i guess by a lot of the stuff like i i was looking forward to norco but i didn't i was just like oh that'll be a fun game whatever same with citizen Mm -hmm. sleeper i i knew about that one because of the tabletop rpg elements that kind of got mentioned in the pc gaming show like something like that like one of those e3 adjacent things monkey island was a surprise because that was announced on april fool's day uh so it kind of came out of the blue that yeah, was like that, yeah. that was a sucker punch and in the mm-hmm. best way possible yeah yeah um so i'm trying to think of games that so i don't know if there's like any trends or anything specifically but i think it's just you know i'm looking forward to um I don't know. I just hope we get some cool experiments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll just, I actually wrote up a list before this for something else. Um, So I'm just going to run through this. And I think there's some things that this might not be accurate. There's going to be games that either get delayed or I was just, I'm kind of guessing. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's see. So I don't know if this is coming out this year, but Crimson Diamond. Um, that's yes. a Laura Bow inspired game. The art looks fantastic. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's uh, coming Jimmy out. Minamata this, is yeah. is fantastic person, a really talented artist and pixel artist. And like the the it, it for those that like don't know, it is SCI Sierra style adventure game, text parser and all. And it is it looks so much fun. Mm-hmm. There's a demo out. You can play on Steam if you haven't. Look it up. Crimson Diamond, it looks really, really good. Yeah. Um, there is The Drifter. I don't know a whole lot about this one, actually, but it's by Power Hoof, who did like non-adventure game things like Crawl. 
Um, they, so this is their first commercial adventure game, but they've done some free ones that I liked. And uh, they also developed their own adventure game tool. It's a Unity plugin called PowerQuest. Uh, that mm-hmm. I, I didn't ever, I briefly played around with it and it was really nice. Mm-hmm. I just never committed to it. It's nothing against the tool. It plays, uh, it works, oh, it felt a lot like Adventure Game Studio if you had that in Unity and could, the syntax, like being able to write C sharp code. Sorry, I'm getting technical, yeah. but it felt like that's okay. Um, good stuff. Um, and I think this next game. Is coming out this year, uh, Rosewater. Okay, by Grundislav Games. The their previous game was Lamplight City. Oh, um, okay, so, yeah, okay. yeah. So Rosewater is a Western game, and I just really like the art, and I think it's. I don't know. It's just a Western game with like a diverse cast instead of. I think it's just we'll do interesting stuff in the genre. I hope. Um, yeah. Uh, this next one, I'm pretty sure you're excited about Firmament. Oh, comes out yeah. very, that comes oh. out very soon. Firmament by the developers. So of, it's by the developers of Mist. Uh, they look previous... abduction. Yeah. Abduction also by Cyan Games. Like I was worried coming into it because like it was Kickstarter backed, and I'm like, okay the Kickstarter stuff has been a letdown for a lot of people. I'm so scared to get into this game because I don't want my legends, these guys that these developers and these designers that are so talented to, to let me down and be like a lot of other developers from the past trying to come back. Um, and abduction did not let me down. That was yeah. so good. And firmament looks to continue that legacy of just the cyan style that you don't see very often this attention to detail. unlike any other, so yeah, oh, so excited for from Yeah, and as much as I like that mystery make a lot from 2021, I think, I, I'm i more excited about them creating new things. Yeah, because um, we've, we've we, you, I mean, how many times have you played Myst? I've, I've played yeah. Myst a million times. I've played it on the Sega Saturn. I've played it on the Nintendo DS. Like, I've played a million oh. versions of Myst. And so when this remake came out, like, I haven't even played it yet. And... Yeah. <laughs> That does like I love Mist so much. I haven't played it yet because I'm like I don't. It has to call me, and it happens once every like four years, where the call happens, and I'm like, okay, that's the one. I'm I'm saving it for that moment. Um, yeah, but yeah. Oh, dude, for a minute, just can't wait. Oh. Uh, anyway, sorry. This next one I think comes out this year. I'm not completely sure, but Old Skies by Wajadai Games. Mm, the, yeah, I mean, come on. It's like a time loop. The other Gilbert. Yes. <laughs> Um, it's like a time travel adventure game. I like the art a lot by Ben Chandler. I think is the artist. Yeah. Uh, Super talented Ben Chandler. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that'll be really cool. I'm sure. I'm. I've been a big fan of Watch Die games for a while. Um, Locomotive is this next game that originally started as a game jam game for the 2020 Adventure X game jam. Um, not a whole lot to say about that. I mean, it's a remake of an existing game. Uh, that game. Oh, that's what... right. I saw this. Yes, I saw this a lot. They played this a lot on like a Nintendo Switch stuff on the like the the Nintendo Directs. That game. Oh, the okay. animation. The animation in this looks fantastic. Yeah. 
And I was very struck by by like just the visuals and like there's a lot of style in its animation. It's very emotive and very like just so strong. Yeah, locomotive. Um, yeah, I, yeah. So I was like, what one is that? And I looked at it and I saw the art and I immediately yep. knew what this was. I was like, yes, this looks so good. I'm also curious how they're going to expand it because the original game's only might be misremembering, but I think it's only like 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. if, I, 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 I assume it's getting expanded on a lot. I don't know. Um, yeah, it says seven plus hours on its website. Okay, so yes, that, that is that is much much longer. So, yeah. huh? Okay, that'll be cool. I'm um, excited. Next one I've got on my list is Dream Settler, which is the sequel or spinoff of uh, Hypnospace Outlaw. So, oh, yeah. so instead of the late nineties, this will be early two thousands, like the windows XP, <laughs> yeah. um, geo city, I guess geo cities was late nineties as well. Was late nineties as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, no, that this is like the introduction of a lot of frames and like they started to do a lot of like flash websites that are really like weird and ethereal and, and strange. The, the early two thousands like flash everywhere. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see how, yeah, that'll be that's exciting. Fun. Um, let's see. There's some I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm curious about uh, Goblins Five. Um, mm-hmm. by this artist. I mean, the you know the I guess co-designer of the Goblins series. Uh, four. I was kind of iffy about. I never finished, but this new one is. Uh, 2D art again. Goblins Four mm-hmm. was like a 3D art. I, I it's kind of you need you need that classic look. Yeah, the, the Goblins look is so I I love it to death, and I'm surprised we've never seen a lot that mimics it. Like yeah, uh, and like Woodruff and the Schnibble and yeah, that's what I know. Um, then two I backed on Kickstarter that I think come out this year. Uh, there's one called I Doesn't Exist. It is mm-hmm. a text adventure game. But like okay. on the so on the top half of the screen, uh, it kind of shows. Let me send this to you because it is. Oh, on, I know what this. I know oh, what this okay, visual okay. aesthetic is like. I, I I bet you I know what engine they use. There's a there's an engine that does um, that style. No, it's not. Really it's well. not. A, I know what you're talking about the adventure on. Yeah, is that adventure what you're on. Yeah, I don't think yeah, it. I get that appeal of it. It's not. It, yeah, I can see. But I think it's their own. I think it's like Unity or something. Yeah. They just wrote their I'm own. I'm seeing it in thing. motion, and um, it doesn't have the motion of an adventure on. But yeah, no, I, yeah, it definitely has that kind of feel and aesthetic, which is interesting. And it's got um, a text parser, so you've already got me. Yeah, uh, Nighthawks is another one that is by Richard Cobbett. Watch It Eye Games is publishing that. It's kind of like a interactive fiction visual novelly RPG. Oh. Um, Vampires. Yeah. Yeah. So you yes. use vampires and the Ben Chandler doing the art for this as well. Um Yeah, I, I so I uh, let's see. Um so anything else? Be... I got a couple I got a couple. Is it only as you covered a bunch of them that I must Okay, yeah, you before. you go ahead. You can I, I came in slightly unprepared. Okay. <laughs> I've got more. Myself. Oh, I've got more. If I mean there's a lot of adventure. I, mean, I can well, go like through got... let's go through some got... yeah. Okay. 
Okay, I'll go so, through the rest of mine really quickly, and then okay, I'll let you take means. a... Okay, um, let's see. The season three remaster of the Sam and Max season three. The yes. uh, other remasters were good. Uh, a Highland song, which is the new Inkle game. It's like a 2D platformer mm-hmm. adventure game. It should be really cool. Um, let's see. Yeah. And then uh, I think that's at Phonopolis, which is the people who made Chuchel and Machinarium Samuel Rouse uh, are doing okay, like yeah, a yeah. Uh, doing a, like an isometric adventure game. Okay, that's it for me. <laughs> Isom- isometric. Okay, now you got me. Yeah, now you got me interested. Um, mine isn't too much. I mean, you covered a bunch of them that I'm super excited for. Um, uh, there's a lot that people have to look forward to, like on the more mainstream side of things. You have stuff like Wolf Among Us Two is supposed to be coming out this next okay. year. So like, that's you know cautious because of the whole Telltale, yeah. but not really. But yeah. I mean, it could be good. I love yeah. that original. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and the other one that is is still kind of in like development, like up in the air, and it's from a uh, Red Thread, uh, the folks who made um, uh, uh, Dreamfall chapters and uh, Dragon, which was oh, okay. kind of weird, but uh, it's called Dustborn. It's like a road trip um, adventure with a little bit of action elements to it, but it's um. It's just, it's just kind of like a dystopic uh, future, uh, a bunch of friends going on a road trip and kind of showing their independence and rebellion, but it's kind of visualized in a in a really interesting and artistic way. Oh. Um, I haven't heard anything about it in a long while, but it's still supposed to be coming out. Okay. And I mean, I love me. I love me some Ragnar Trungvist. So uh, yeah. like good stuff so i'm very excited for that one that was like the the two that i wanted some people are excited for like the expanse a telltale series okay like more telltale stuff because that seems to be coming back but i'm not i'm not so keen on the telltale stuff as much as i used to be oh i i don't know i like that style of game it's just there's that big like it's not really i it's telltale but it is i don't know i will see how that how it actually plays out in the end because it doesn't it doesn't you know kind of follow that aesthetic still like that 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 feel of a telltale game visually but um or like wolf among us too you know it definitely has that that still that aesthetic feel to it um but like yeah it's it's strange with telltale in general just because i would always like i really enjoy them and then there is that there is that fatigue that you get from playing all their types of games um, yeah and but like i played like the batman one and i was like this is amazing why did everybody think that this was boring and more of the same this was really good and and really unique think- and interesting and doing different things and and but uh but then there's other moments where i'm like telltale just feels all the same and then other days i'm like no it was all different and i just don't know why it has this effect on me mentally and it had yeah. the effect on everybody i think yeah i think that's what happened is i think by the time the batman games came out because i heard people say good things about them but i think a lot of people were just kind of over that style of game by then uh because the people that played batman seemed to really like it but also i don't i did not hear that much about batman really like i think people had moved on because there's stuff that like between wolf mungus and batman and like i heard the game of thrones game was rough um, yeah, and Guardians of the Galaxy was rough. I need to play that one okay. though, just to be like, is it really rough though? 
Okay, I haven't played those, and that's what yeah, because I because think... everyone said that Batman was rough, and I played it, and I was like, oh, really? this is okay. like legitimately awesome and like really different, and does a lot of okay. really cool stuff with their formula and plays with it in really interesting ways, and uh, but but uh, yeah, people are like, oh, it's all the same, and so like I start to now doubt what people's perspective was on telltale games and that want to revisit them at some point and be like, do these actually, were they actually as bad as people said or as tired as they said, or was this just a, a situation of people being tired of them instead yeah. of the games themselves being tiring? And I'm curious to know, like five years down the, lo- the way, does that stylistic choice, does that design philosophy, does it still, does it hold up stronger than it did back then when it came out? Mm-hmm. And I think it will. I just think it needs time to sit and there's going to be people who are going to be like looking back very fondly on those ones that people didn't like as much. Yeah, I think that might. We'll see. Um, we'll see. I, because I'm starting to get like nostalgia for like the early Telltale. I don't think I that ever went away. I never got tired of that early style, but like when there's more point and click adventure. Yeah, Back to the Future. Oh man, Back to the Future Telltale was, was so good. I loved it. Yeah, I like I just, in general, there's some nostalgia from like just being, I, you mentioned before, like how Siberia was kind of held up as like the genre is coming back and stuff. And there's, you know, that pressure was placed unfairly on a lot of games during that era. But like, there's, yeah, there's optim like nostalgia, like there's a lot of optimism about Telltale at the time too and it was yeah. a very fun time to follow along with the genre because you had watch it i as well becoming a commercial yeah. game developer and um it's it's so interesting sorry there could be a whole episode that just talks yeah. about telltale and, and people's perspective and and how they are their success and failures all rely on perspective and people's mood because like you know walking dead wouldn't be as huge of a hit if it wasn't for people going nuts over back to the future and like if that game didn't exist, people's like expectations weren't going to be ready to accept that style of game. And then because of that, they loved it, they accepted it, and then it became prolific, and then people felt tired of it. But again, is that the fault of the game itself, or is that just the fault of people feeling everything was too samey, even though the games did different things? I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Oh, We're going to have to go about. back. Sorry. And, yeah. Oh, no, that's, a, that's a podcast episode for another yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole like Jurassic Park game that Telltale did. That was like the proto yeah. Walking Dead. That like people did not like that Jurassic Park. Kit. I think fairly. I I never played it, but like they seemed like valid criticisms. But um, there's I mean, a Jurassic lot of stuff. Park Trespasser. Can you ever beat Jurassic Park Trespasser? Oh, yeah, that's no. clearly the pinnacle of design. But like, I love, that. I love that game. But I think that game had to exist. For them to do Walking Dead, like it, like it seemed yeah. like Walking Dead built on that, and I loved Walking Dead. Anyway, uh, I don't All know. Right. I think that's I think that's it. Uh, currently, this episode's so this episode's <laughs> coming out late uh, because we yeah. life stuff and realms of the haunting. We still need to record an episode for that. Um, Poor realms of the haunting. I'm sorry. I, well. We'll get to it. But um, so right now we're playing Blood Nova, um, which is a new adventure game that came out last year. Uh, and then after that, we are doing Legend of Kyrandia, Kyrandia um, by Westwood. Uh, mm, yeah. We're doing, and then after that, we are doing 
in March, we are doing a, kind of an intro to IF month where we're just like games that are free and maybe good and they're short and maybe decent intro games if you've never played a text adventure or parser game before. So uh, Shade, Lost Pig, Potopia, Bronze, Galatea, uh, we'll, we'll get into that. And then the last month uh, for April is Orc Nemesis. <sighs> so, I can't wait for April. There's a lot of good months coming out. It'll be fun. Oh, um, yeah. And then I think that's it for us. Uh, so I guess, John, what are you, you, you probably want to talk about all your projects. So and many the, things. The My monthly, God. Well, you have your own monthly game club. Yes. So I do run an interactive fiction club um, where uh, we rotate every month for old classic text adventures and more modern in interactive fiction uh, and waffle back and forth between those every month. Uh, we just wrapped up doing Planetfall. We're currently doing, I got to get this title right. What heard of ghost guest it is a the winner of the 2021 xyzzy award for best game of the year um and it plays around with 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 its its text parser in fun and interesting ways um and i uh, i don't know what we're doing next month i oh, oh i'm gonna probably play uh gateway um the uh legend entertainment text adventure um gateway it's probably going to be it because I really want to play a legend entertainment text adventure. I love those a lot. Um, and so, yeah, we do that. Um, I'm going to slowly siphon back into streaming more often at twitch.tv slash bogus meat factory. I used to do a big schedule, but I had life things. So it'll be sporadically, but follow me there because we play some really interesting games. Um, and then, oh my gosh, there's just so many things. I'm, I'm just working on a text-based, or not text-based, a uh, tabletop RPG system called the role-playing agency system which we'll be testing soon which i'm very excited about and hopefully we'll get some stuff out the door for the end of the year for people commercially we'll see how that goes um and other than that uh yeah i have fun i i'm on mastodon focus meat factory at dos game club hmm? <laughs> good times okay awesome uh yeah we'll put put all the social media links in the show notes for the adventure game club we're on co-host mastodon uh I think that kind of does it for this episode. Mike, uh, <laughs> Mike, thank you for having me on. Here is, is to a wonderful 2023, yeah. uh, a year that'll be bursting out the seams for adventure games, new and old. And I cannot wait to see what happens. If last year was any indication, then anything's possible. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about this year. Uh, and who knows what surprises us, right? Uh, yes. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me, John. Um, bye, everyone. Goodbye.